0: Well, for those who might not know me, my name is Chris, I think I'm tall enough, I think I can handle this height, Chris Nixon, and I am the Women's and Outreach Pastor here at South Everett Foursquare. Our senior pastor is on vacation this week, uh, Pastor Chris Peffler, and it's just my privilege to get to minister the Word of God to you this morning. So um, as I mentioned, we're just going to step into part two of our series um, on Christians in the age of outreach, outrage, outreach and outrage. <sighs> and I am going to grab some water. My lips are sticking together and that's no good when you're trying to speak. So, um, you know, I've been frantically trying to read through the book catching up this week. And I am not a fast reader. But one thing I have noticed is We live in an angry world. Have you noticed that? Our culture is very angry right now. In fact, you can't go anywhere and not experience the anger. Anger hurts. Anger kills. In fact, if I were to ask for a show of hands this morning, how many have been hurt? by uncontrollable anger in this place. Yeah. Anger hurts. Culture seems to be in an uproar on the verge of impending outrage on every platform. It's fueled by angry people. There are plenty of things to get angry about, right? When we think about the things that we hear people are angry about. Angry about trafficking, about traffic, right? (laughs) Yeah. About racism, immigration, poverty, drug addiction, homelessness. There's just lots of reasons we're angry. You know, it isn't wrong to be angry about these shifts in our culture. Last week, Pastor Chris began exploring our book, Christians in the Age of Outreach. I'm going to say that wrong every time. No, I'm not. I'm going to say it right every time. And how to bring our best when the world is at its worst. This book is by Ed Stetzer, and we examine the, the widening differences in our culture. The widening divide between convictional Christians who live according to the conviction they feel they find in Scripture, and the divide between just cultural Christians or convic- convictional Christians who um, just call themselves Christians because they're, they live in America, they live in the United States. Or maybe they go to church on Easter or Christmas, but they don't live by the convictions they find in the Word of God. Or the division they see, we see between those who live according to the Word of God and people who don't believe in Christ at all. Or in the Word of God at all. Or in church at all. They're non-believers. And those divides are becoming wider and wider in our society. And it's creating dissension and division. We are becoming as a Christian culture like exiles in our own country. Right. That's what we talked about last week. Yet our greatest influence may remain as light in this darkness as we hold out the hope of the gospel of Jesus through peace against all opposition. Our understanding of anger must inform how we see and interact with this culture. Our understanding of anger, according to the word of God, has got to impact our culture. It has to change things if we believe in the word of God. I would like to propose to you today, and this may seem silly. And you're going to think, why did they let her stand up there? (laughs) Because the pastor is out of town. (laughs) I love you. But this becomes the lens through which you see everything. If you have to walk around like this, To interpret the world you live in, do it. This needs to become the lens that informs how you understand and how I understand the world we live in. There are some complex issues out there that I don't pretend to understand. That I will not stand up here and speak on. But this can begin to understand with the help of the Holy Spirit and this informs how I understand the people I come in contact with on a daily basis and the anger at the heart of the people and my own anger concerning the issues we face every day this word of God has to inform everything. So, what is anger? I think we have a slide. Let's slide on over and take a look. I did a lot of this this week, right, Colleen? <laughs> Colleen invited me into this adventure this week of being a model in some of her real estate pictures. <laughs> oh, my word. Yes. It was a new adventure. (laughs) So what is anger? Anger is a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. Can you relate to that? Yeah. You know what? Anger is a God-given emotion. God gives everybody the emotions we feel. We're designed to feel these things. It serves as an alarm or a warning. I think I might have another. Maybe I don't. Uh, serves as an alarm or a warning system in us. It's, it sounds, uh, it serves as a source of motivation for change. Right? It's a source of energy. Yeah, you feel that rising up. I I've I felt it. Oh, ho. I got to do something about this situation. I got to do something fast. Is usually what anger does in us, right? It's a survival mechanism. But you know, anger is a secondary emotion. It comes after something. It's a result of something, and it's usually a result of hurt, of fear, or of frustration. Righteous anger. A lot of times we as Christians especially say, ah, oh, but my anger, my anger is righteous anger. Right? And sometimes that's true. And sometimes it's a cop-out. <laughs> righteous anger. In, in Stetzer's book, I'm going to quote it, it says, Because God, because we know that God alone is righteous, there is none righteous. No, not one, the word of God says. Says, but because he, God, is so perfectly holy, any manifestation of sin or an evil is a direct affront to him. So God can be angry, right? We see that God gets angry in scripture. Because sin is an affront to him, because he is perfectly holy. Therefore, he is perfectly righteous. And sin is an affront to him. His anger is intertwined with his holiness and judgment. In other words, because God is perfect in his holiness, his anger is always righteous. We can't say that about ourselves. Because within ourselves, although we have been clothed if we believe in Jesus and have him living inside of us, we although we have been clothed in the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, We still have the flesh to deal with. And so we are still working out that salvation. And we still fight with a little bit of self in there, right? A little bit of flesh that isn't perfect yet. And won't be until that day when we see Jesus. So God has righteous anger. And we can be motivated by righteous anger. But it isn't perfect. So there's a difference. Next slide. Rage. What is rage? We see rage. We've probably experienced rage. If you have children, you've experienced rage. (laughs) I love my children. (laughs) Rage. Violent, uncontrollable anger. A fit of violent wrath. Outrage. So we're looking at outrage today. We're looking at the difference between anger and outrage. Outrage is an act of violence or brutality, insult or injury. Outrage is motivated by a desire to punish or destroy rather than reconcile or refine, according to Stetzer's book. Is it okay to be angry? Certainly. Certainly. In fact, we must feel the passion of anger over sin and the infractions of the enemy upon the people of God and people to the point that it drives us to holy action. It is necessary to be angry. But we cannot, we cannot choose if we're angry. But we can choose what we do with that anger, right? Right? However, we must keep in mind that anger cannot become distorted by our flesh. If we are not, it it can become distorted by our flesh. Anger can become distorted to a point of outrage. And that's when it becomes sin. When we act on that anger and it becomes outrage, it becomes sin. We are going to look at three scriptures today to help us to understand. Three questions I want to answer in the form of what do we do with anger? What does scripture have to say about it? What happens when we when anger turns to outrage? How does this happen? And how do we center our response in our culture today to outrage? So what do we do with our anger? What does Jesus say about anger? And what is the answer? Matthew 5. Let's turn to Matthew 5 together. Verses 21 through 22. My pages are sticking together here. We see Jesus elaborate the extent of the law, not only to the outward expression and performance of the law. He's been talking to people. He's saying the law isn't just important to the performance, to the way you perform it, but to the heart attitude of it. Matthew twenty one twenty two. it says, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says to you, says you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. See, we are guilty when we take up offense against our brother. Doesn't mean we are guilty when we just have that emotional reaction of anger. But when we hold on to an offense against one another, we become guilty. Ephesians 4, 25 through 27 says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin, Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. We don't hold on to offense, right? This scripture tells us that guilt, that we're guilty when our perspective changes. When we no longer honor the image of God in other people. See, the Bible tells us that we were all created in the image of God, right? That means you and you and you and you and you all the way to the back row and all the way out the door, all the way to those people you see on Fox or CNN, all the way to the political leaders, whether you like them or not. They were made in the image of God. I don't care whether you agree with what they're saying. God doesn't care whether you agree with what they're saying. They were made in the image of God. And when we hold offense at them, and when we can no longer see and honor the image of God in them, we become guilty. We become guilty. I become guilty. Because I'm not valuing the image of God in them, right? Who? It's as if it was murder when I hold on to that. That's scary. Now, that doesn't mean that it's like murder if I'm angry about something, if I'm angry about an issue, if I'm angry of the, about the way they reacted. But if I hold on to it, if I degrade them to the point where they are no longer honored as a made in the image of God goes on to say you're guilty when our hearts have become fixed on hatred you fool now that in our society doesn't mean a whole lot I, I mean those those words you know don't carry the weight that they did the way Jesus was saying it at that time and it was the inflection in the voice It it was almost more of a sound than it was a word that they were saying at that time. But at that point in time, what they were saying was their hearts were fixed on hatred. And when our hearts become fixed on hatred, then we become guilty of murder enough. says to go into the fiery hell a commentary by Barclay says so Jesus forbids forever the anger which broods broods you know what that means stews upon the anger which will never forget the anger which refuses to be pacified and the anger which seeks revenge so we have to consider this and wonder, so what should our response be? What should our response be in our own heart? So let's look at Matthew 5:23 and 24. Jesus goes on to say, therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave the offering there before the altar and go. First to be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. The first thing we need to do is we need to, we need to present, when we're going to present our offering at the altar, we need to remember ourselves crucified with Christ. We need to remember that we are going to the altar. What happened at the altar? They offered a sacrifice. And so we need to remember that a sacrifice has been offered for us. And that sacrifice was Jesus. So that we no longer would live in sin. But the sin was destroyed by the power of Jesus on the cross. And life was given by his resurrection. And therefore, if we are believers in Jesus, we have. Have been crucified with Christ. And now we live free of sin. Free of the bondage of sin. And we need to remember that that person that I used to be before I knew Jesus is dead. And sin has no hold on me. And hatred has no hold on me. And anger has no hold on me. An offense has no hold on me. Therefore, I don't live that way anymore. And so when I, the first thing I do is I go to the altar and remember, I am not that person because that person has been crucified with Christ. And the person I live now, I live in righteousness unto God. And I am free. I am a slave unto righteousness. So that's the first thing I do. Galatians 5:17 and 18 says, For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit. See, it's our spirit that has been saved in Christ Jesus, and it is our flesh that we need to crucify daily. It says, Take up your cross and follow me daily. Because although our spirit, has been crucified and now lives with Christ Jesus, set free as a free person in Christ. We still have this fleshly body that every once in a while gets a little out of control if we're not continually taking it, taking up our cross and denying ourselves daily, right? So Galatians says, for the flesh sets its desires against the things of the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For we're still kind of having this battle every day. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians 5:24 and 25 says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The second thing we need to do is we need to forgive our brothers as Christ forgave us. Everything is about relationship. When you stop and think about it, from the very beginning, everything has been about relationship. Everything. From Adam and Eve and God's relationship with them, it was relationship that was broken. And it was relationship that God has restored through Christ. Everything is about relationship and reconciliation. Our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And Jesus says, unless you, unless you forgive one another, my Father in heaven will not forgive you. So we need to be diligent to forgive one another. It's all about relationship. And God paid the highest cost for that relationship. That we would be reconciled to him. He gave everything. He himself in the form of Jesus gave everything. And his commandment to us is now love one another as I have loved you. Right? So the next thing we need to do is love one another as Jesus loved us by give, giving our lives, laying our lives down, forgiving one another. Second Corinthians says, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the world, the word of reconciliation. Then we need to change our perspective Of a man according to the word of God. Because the word of God says. Therefore from now on we recognize no man according to the flesh. How do we see one another? When we get angry at somebody. How are we looking at one another? Are we looking at them as the image of God? Made in the image of God. And I don't just mean the people we like. Or the people that, shall I say, are easy to like, easy to love, because I can look at Danielle and think, oh, I really like her. I, I don't care. I, it, it didn't matter. It was no big deal. That one's an easy forgive. Not that she's ever done anything that needs to be forgiven. But there are sometimes when people cut you off on the road or say the wrong things or decide to charge $2 for parking. <laughs> That just really make you mad. How do we see people? We have to change our perspective, right? And see them as made in the image of God. The answer to anger is the gospel of Jesus. It is not wrong to feel angry, but we must confront anger within our own hearts with the truth and the power of the gospel of Jesus that has set us free. What happens when anger turns to outrage? And how does that happen? King Saul has become for us a great example of anger turning to outrage. In First Samuel eighteen five through eleven. David has already been anointed king. However, he has not taken his place as king. And King Saul is afraid of him. He knows that his time has come to an end. And he is living in fear. We read, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's men, servants. It happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine that the women woman came out from all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now, it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual. And a spear was in Saul's hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence. Now, Michael. Saul's daughter loved David, and when they told Saul the things were agreeable to him, Saul thought, I will give her to him that she may become a snare to him and that the hand of the Philistines might be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David, for a second time, you may be my son-in-law today. So we see in this story anger going to outrage. It's a scary story. Right? A lot of drama. Saul knew his time was coming to an end. And remember, anger is that secondary emotion. Secondary, most often to hurt, frustration, fear. He, we see, um, as you see the progression of this story, we know we, we see it starting in fear. Saul had fear. Then we see jealousy coming in. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul becomes jealous. We see that jealousy rising up. And then we see Saul become very angry. So we see fear. We see anger, uh, jealousy. We see anger. And then Saul takes hold of that spear and we see rage. As he hurls that spear. But what do we see after rage? We see Saul take and set him up. And he sets him up with his daughter and sends him to war with the Philistines, hoping that the Philistines will annihilate him. So we see murder. Now I want you to notice this for a reason, because I don't want you To be unaware of how the enemy works in our hearts and how and how anger works in our hearts. I told you anger usually has a root. And it starts with fear. In this case. So we start with fear. And if we let that fear sit there long enough, jealousy Maybe it's not jealousy. Maybe something else builds. But then comes anger. And if anger isn't dealt with, it turns into rage. And outrage, right? And outrage always leads to murder. So when Jesus said, the ancients have told you do to not commit murder. And then he says, but I tell you. If you are angry, because Jesus sees the starting point of murder and he says, don't let it even start. Don't let it even start. The scriptures tell us that even a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. In other words, just a little yeast will make the whole lump of dough grow. Oh, yeah, that makes good bread, good eating, unless it's anger. And then it just ruins the whole thing. It's so important to be able to recognize for ourselves, for the own condition of our own hearts, how these things start, where they start, and and what we can do about them. We see Saul ranting in this story. That negative talk. I can't believe that guy. Can you believe how he has moved into my kingdom? Now all the women in the country love him. They're singing songs about him. And it just goes on and on and on. It can be out loud. It can be in your mind. Have you ever had that happen? If they would just clean up this house, can you believe how dirty. Every morning I wake up to these dirty dishes. I it just goes on and on and on and on and on. That's some of my rant. Oh, Jesus. But it goes someplace because even a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. Can't believe how that person cut me off. And it goes on and on and on and on. You have to watch for those things. Saul's perspective of David changed. Think further back in Scripture of who David was to Saul. David had just slain Goliath. David was the one that Saul called in to play the instruments for him. But now his perspective of David had changed. Scripture tells us the eye is the lamp of the body, and if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? How are we seeing? How are you seeing? Murder begins in the heart, and that's why Jesus compares anger to murder. It is he sees murder at its very beginning. But I also want you to know that as we read this scripture. Says now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came upon Saul mightily upon Saul and he raved in the midst of the house. Because Saul's heart wasn't in the right place. There was a loud and evil spirit. He left open a door. Just like Ephesians tells us to do not allow a foothold of the enemy. When we, when we allow anger to fester, it leaves an open door, a foothold for the enemy to come in. And I want you to be aware of that. I want you to be aware of that for yourselves, for us. And I want you to understand that for the culture that we live in. So that as you perceive things happening around you in society, you understand what is happening. And you see it correctly. You discern what is happening in the world we live in. That when you see people ranting and unhappy and angry, That you understand that it's more than just anger. That somewhere behind that there is hurt. That there is frustration. That there is fear. When you see outrage. When you see school shootings. That you understand that there is a spirit at work. And not just some stupid guy or gal who got a little angry that day. That we are in a battle. And that is why it is so important not only to have the correct understanding. But to know how to live your own life in such a way. That we are not part of the problem. That we have the right perspective of people. Right? That we see people made in the image of God. That we aren't part of the divide. That we are part of the answer. So anger can turn to outrage when we allow sin to fester. When we have false or wrong beliefs about something. Paul and Silas help us answer the question on how to interact with outrage in our culture based on the word of God. Let's look at Acts 16 real quick before we close It happened in Acts 16, 16. We got one more. There we go. It happened that as they were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her master's much profit for fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to her, said to the spirit, excuse me, Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. See, we must walk by the spirit. Through the lens of God's word, as we see people and situations and the world with spiritual discernment. Paul saw the situation by discernment of the spirit. He recognized the slave girl. And let me emphasize just so you understand There's a reason she was called a slave girl. And it wasn't just because she was in bondage to someone else. She was in bondage. To the spirit. Although Paul was annoyed, he did not sin. Remember our definition of anger. Was great annoyance, right? So although Paul was angry. He did not sin. He kept his eyes set on the kingdom perspective. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist In the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. She had a spirit of divination, of fortune telling. Or by the spirit of divination, she was fortune telling. And just as a little, let me step aside note, okay? Don't mess with fortune telling, okay? Don't mess with horoscopes, don't mess with astronomy. And that's not did astrology. Thank you. Not astronomy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Astrology is good. Astronomy. Astronomy is good. Astrology is not um, the word of God. Says that not me. OK, don't mess with it. It's not of God. You don't need your horoscope. You don't need somebody to tell you your fortune. Evil spirit behind that, and let's see why. Okay. Paul was annoyed. Paul was angry at the spirit, not at the girl. Paul stood in the authority of Jesus, who was seated above all rule, all authority, all power, and dominion in every name, and he cast down the mocking spirit of divination that was mimicking the spirit of God. By which Paul and Silas were ministering in that area. Not only was that spirit keeping the girl in bondage, but that spirit was mocking the spirit of God and the work that that the spirit of God was doing in that area. Was mimicking the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of the work that the spirit of God was doing in that area. And so by casting that spirit out, Paul took authority in that region for that spirit not to be able to operate there anymore. So Paul had a perspective of what was happening in that whole area. He understood that it was a spiritual battle. And the battle was over the region and over a people held captive to a deceiving spirit, not just one girl. Act 16 continues, and it says, But when her master saw that their hope was of, of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion being Jews and are proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in, in the stocks." See, there was a cultural divide there. There was conflict and different perspectives. See, the culture saw a prophet, not a, not a, they saw the money, (laughs) that kind of prophet. But Paul saw spiritual bondage. Just like we have a cultural divide today. And we have to have the right perspective. But we also have to understand that when we come up to these areas of injustice in our society, when we come up against issues such as trafficking or such as homelessness, that not everybody starts at the same place. We might all agree that there's a problem. But some groups may think it's a problem... Because of finances. And we might think it's a problem because of the Word of God and how we take our stand on it. We might all start from a different place. We might think it's a God issue. It's a, our, our stand on injustice might be different. And we have to recognize and honor where people are starting on that issue. We might not agree. But we can't hold other people to our standards if they don't agree with the word of God. And that's okay. Because God didn't call us into the world to judge the world. Jesus said he didn't come into the world to judge the world. Right? But through the world. And through him, the world might be saved. He came with what? He came with grace and truth. Oh. Oh. Colleen is probably one of the best examples of this I know. Grace and truth. That's what we need to come with. We don't come into the world with judgment, we come in with grace and truth. I'm not very good at that. I've got quite a bit of grace. Not as much as I need sometimes, but quite a bit. But I'm not really good about speaking up in some places. I'm pretty quiet. I need more of that. I need more boldness. But nobody needs judgment. You know why? You know, the Word of God says that in the end, God's Word will judge. He will judge. I'm off the hook completely. So we need to recognize that not everybody in culture is going to start have the same reason. And sometimes we don't even have the same agenda. I can't fix that either. My job is just to come with grace and truth. And grace covers an awful lot of things. Grace covers forgiveness. Covers love covers acceptance. And it just, that list goes on and on. And that's what Paul and Silas did. They came with grace and truth. They had a cultural divide there. They started in two different places of understanding. Paul and Silas were not outraged at the injustice of being arrested. They were not outraged. They were arrested for delivering a region from bondage. For doing what God had sent them to do, but they weren't outraged. Instead, they looked at it as a great opportunity. And that's what we need to see in this society today. Because you know what the Bible says? Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How can we better engage our culture? Understanding their starting place might be different than ours. It goes on to say in Acts 16, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he, threw his, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And they took them that very hour, that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he baptized He was baptized and he and all his household and he brought them into his house and set food before them. And they rejoiced greatly, having believed in God and his whole with his whole household. Paul's response, his response to being arrested, to persecution wasn't outrage. It was praising and praying. What happened? Get this. An earthquake! Oh, my word. The foundations of prison were shaken. Doors were open. Everyone's chains were unfastened. Luke 4 says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover sight to the blind and set the oppressed free. The spirit of the Lord is upon you. For he has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to proclaim freedom to the prisoners to recover the sight of the blind And to set the oppressed free. The church must move into a place to transcend the division and the cultural outrage through the transforming gospel of Jesus. Both for ourselves and for the world. It is not wrong to be angry. We help, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can avoid outrage. And we can engage our culture without judgment. We have the choice of what we do with our anger and what we allow the outrage of others to do for us and with us. Amen. All right. I'm going to bless you. We're going to thank the Lord for this word. I'm going to release you to this gorgeous sunny day. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is a light unto our feet and is a lamp unto our path. Father, we thank you that you came, that we might know you and be restored to relationship with you, that we might be free. Father, I just ask for this word that you would seal it in our hearts. That you would allow it to transform our hearts and our minds. That you would help us to better engage with our culture according to the truth of your word. Bless your people this day as they go. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.